Welcome back to the program. Even back in the tumultuous 1960s, we were enamored with the space program. The idea of man slipping the surly bonds of Earth captured the nation's attention at a time when so much other news was negative. Kids everywhere wanted to be astronauts. There was an airline at the time that referred to itself as the wings of man. Our landing on the moon in 1969, though, instead of beginning a renewed interest to take us to the planets and beyond, was simply the capstone of the national interest. The shuttle program and the International Space Station never had the same kind of magnetic pull as a national obsession. However, for the twin brothers, Scott and Mark Kelly, growing up in New Jersey, the pull never stopped. Mark Kelly is a distinguished naval aviator and astronaut. He's flown four shuttle missions and has logged almost 100 million miles and has circled the planet almost a thousand times. His twin brother, Scott, also an astronaut, is embarking on man's longest stay aboard the space station. And of course, Mark Kelly is married to former Congresswoman Gabby Gifford. Among his many causes, Mark has now devoted himself to reigniting young people's interest in space exploration. He talks about it in his new book, Astro Twins, Project Blastoff. And it is my pleasure to welcome Mark Kelly to this program. Mark, thanks so much for being here. Oh, you're welcome, Jeff. Thanks for having me on your show. Great to have you here. If you and your brother were growing up today, is it possible that you'd wind up in Silicon Valley, that that would be the world that, that would interest you as opposed to space back in, in the days that you guys grew up? I don't know. I don't think so. You know, actually, one of the things I really wanted to do was to serve my country in the U.S. military. So I went into the Navy and I wanted to fly airplanes off of an aircraft carrier because I thought that would be an incredible challenge but also about, um, you know, serving our great nation. So I think I would still do that if I was growing up today. And talk a little bit about your interest in space. When did that first begin to coalesce and you really thought about what life might be like as an astronaut after your military service? You know, I think it was for me, it was after Apollo 11. You know, my brother remembers Neil Armstrong and Buzz going down that ladder in 1969 to the surface of the moon. But I think I fell asleep because <laughs> when he did that, I think in New Jersey, it was like 10 or 11 o'clock at night and we were five years old. So I think I fell asleep. But Apollo 12 and 14, 15, 16, 17, you know, those later missions where, you know, astronauts walked on the moon really excited me. And my entire time growing up, I was interested in becoming an astronaut. It wasn't like an obsession for me, but it was something that. You know, certainly if given the opportunity, I would uh, really make a run at trying to get that job. And you talk to a lot of kids today, and you're out there talking about these issues of science and space. Talk a little bit about what you hear today from kids when they engage in a conversation about space and, and trying to think about being an astronaut. Well, I still do find that a lot of kids, when you ask them what they want to be when they grow up, I mean, it depends a little bit on their age, but you do see a lot of kids, you know, they want to be a major league baseball player or, you know, an athlete, but you also see that a lot of kids still want to be astronauts because it's an exciting, you know, it's an exciting profession, an exciting job. And, um, you know, there's uh, not many people that get the opportunity to leave our planet. So you do see that excitement. Um, but as they get older, sometimes you see kids get distracted. And there's a lot of stuff out there that wasn't available when I was growing up, like video games and the Internet. So there's a lot of distractions. So part of the idea behind this book, Astro Twins, is to keep kids of that age, you know, 8 to 12 years old, excited about science and engineering and rocket ships and astronauts. And maybe we'll uh, get more engineers and more scientists 
and some more astronauts out of it. The question is where they wind up. I mean, in, in those days, the idea of working for NASA and, and maybe becoming an astronaut was perhaps as exciting as it is today to, for them to think about working for Google. Yeah, well, I think for some, you know, it's still really exciting, you know, this opportunity to go into space. And for others, you know, working at a great and innovative company, you know, like Google um, is an exciting thing to do and a very important thing. You know, I've, uh, you know, I've met and talked to Larry Page and Sergey on a number of occasions. And, you know, here you have two individuals that really want to change the world. And it's not just to provide, you know, a search engine, you know, in a lot of different ways they're trying to do new and innovative things that are helping people. Talk a little bit about that context for the exploration of space today and really how it fits in to a larger fabric for you and for others in terms of changing the world. Well, I think as humans, you know, we have this very, you know, deep down need to explore, to push the envelope, you know, whether you know, in the 15th century, it's uh, going across the Atlantic Ocean for the first time. Or in uh, the 1960s, going to the moon. And then someday, you know, reaching out to, you know, take people further into our solar system to Mars or maybe one of the moons of Jupiter or Saturn. Now, you know, we have this deep-seated need to do this. And it's, for, and, and, and it's great that we do. You know, it really is because... Um, I mean, if you just look at what we got as a nation out of the Apollo program, it's pretty incredible. I mean, we got new industries that would not have existed if we didn't make this bold attempt to land people on the moon for the very first time. So we got to continue to do that. You know, there's no reason why we can't have a national program uh, with the goal of, in a certain period of time, to land the first person on Mars. You know, we should do that as a nation. So it would be important to do. Um, but what I've often seen with the space program as we've moved out of the Apollo and, you know, towards the later part of the space shuttle era is that we'll often start something, we have a great idea, we get a little bit of excitement, and then for some reason somebody cancels it, whether it's NASA, Congress, or the White House. Uh, so we got to stay focused. This is important work to do, and we got to get kids excited about these fields, science, technology, engineering, and math. Part of what cancels it in many cases is the issue of money, of course, in this sense of, gee, we have so many problems that we have to solve here at home before we worry about rushing off to Mars. Yeah, but, you know, in the big picture, the money we invest in our space program is really pretty small dollars less than 1% of the federal budget. Wasn't that case during Apollo, but I'm talking, you know, historically through the space shuttle program, it's less than 1% of the federal budget. And it's money that you spend that we certainly get back. You know, we get back in great jobs, um, you know, high tech jobs, but we also get it back in that we build industries that make companies money and build, you know, just, um, you know, grows our economy. So it's money well invested. And, you know, when people say that we're spending the money in space, we're actually not doing that. We're actually spending the money on the ground, and we're launching the rocket ship into space. What about the private efforts that we see taking place today, things like Elon Musk and SpaceX? How do they fit into the equation? How should we be looking at that, Mark? Well, you know, if you go back to, like, uh, around 2008, 2009, you know, there was a 
decision made in Washington that we would try to get away from these big government contractors, you know, for our space program and try to go to the smaller, you know, Silicon Valley kind of type of startup companies. And SpaceX is one of those. You know, they're launching cargo now to the International Space Station at a tenth of the cost of what we used to previously do it at and cheaper than any other country can do it. Um, so SpaceX, you know, Elon Musk's company has been incredibly innovative and has safely, so far, has safely done this for a much reduced cost. Hopefully in the next couple of years, we're going to see astronauts flying on SpaceX rockets. Uh, full disclosure, I do some consulting for SpaceX, but I am genuine, genuinely enthusiastic and impressed by the, what that company has been able to do. And there's other companies that are popping up in this arena as well. I'm involved with a company uh, that I helped start in Tucson, Arizona called Worldview. And we're going to take passengers up above 100,000 feet under in a spacecraft-like vehicle, but lifted up by a uh, helium balloon to a very high altitude where you can see the Earth like a, like, you know, like a planet and get that inspiration from that kind of experience. Talk about international cooperation in space. Certainly, uh, your brother's mission is is perhaps the penultimate example of this. It's one of the few areas of cooperation right now between the United States and Russia. Yeah, every one of my space flights were to the space station. Um, on my first flight, we had crew members, we had Russian crew members as part of our crew uh, getting to or from the space station on the space shuttle. So I launched with Russians in the space shuttle and brought some other Russians home. I have very good friends that are cosmonauts. I was emailing one of them just yesterday who's a retired colonel in the Russian Air Force and is a cosmonaut. And he's, my, he's one of my brother's backup crew members, and I'll see him down in Baikonur, Kazakhstan, next week. Uh, so at that level, at the astronaut-cosmonaut level, and at the space agency level, we've got a very good relationship. And it's working very well, and it's a way that we can work together on something very important. While we still struggle at the higher level, you know, between our two countries on geopolitical issues. So I think it's important to keep this relationship strong between our two space programs and uh, try to find other things that we can do together. And are there other places and other countries that, that are contributing in some way to the space program, whether it's in terms of research, whether it's in terms of dollars, whether it's in terms of personnel? Do we need to be also looking around the world to involve others in this quest? Yeah, I think we should. You know, Space Station has 16 international partners. It was a very uh, difficult project to complete. It was very costly. Uh, we carry most of the cost burden. Um, it's good that we didn't have to carry all of it. Now we, we get the opportunity to do a challenging thing with a bunch of other countries. I think one day when we make a decision uh, that we're going to send somebody or a group of people to Mars for the very first time, it's not going to ju just be the United States. I mean, I, I expect that we will lead, you know, that kind of mission, but it's going to be a pretty costly project, and it would be better to do this with a, you know, a, collab a collaboration with other countries. Talk a little bit about you and your brother, Scott, and the sense of the two of you as astronauts, and a little bit about how that evolved, that the two of you pursued, these twin brothers pursued the same line of work. 
Well, so we both wanted to be pilots in the military, specifically pilots in the Navy and, you know, live and work and fly off of an aircraft carrier. We both did that for a number of years. I went to grad school. We both wound up in the same test pilot school class. And then, you know, after being test pilots for a couple of years, we talked about, you know, applying to NASA to be astronauts. And the prospect of actually getting selected, it's pretty low probability. There are a lot of applicants in very few spots. But, you know, with a little luck, maybe a lot of luck, both of us wound up there. We're the only siblings to ever fly in space, and we happen to be twins as well, uh, which presented, with my brother's year-long mission, an interesting opportunity for NASA to do some extra science that they don't normally have the opportunity to do on a long-duration crew member. So there's going to be some comparison studies between my brother and I uh, that's coordinated with about 10 different universities around the country. What kind of competition has there been over the years between the two of you, more than just the usual sibling rivalry? You know, I get asked that question all the time, and so does he. And we, we don't really feel like we compete with each other. You know, maybe that's not the case. You know, maybe we are a little bit competitive, but, you know, it's not something like, you know, we've ever, um, you know, I feel like I compete with other people at times. But with him, you know, I want the best for him and he wants the best for me. So it's, you know, he was selected to fly his first mission before I was. And I didn't in any way feel bad about that. I thought it was great. Talk a little bit about the mission he's embarking on. He's going to go into space for a year, which is a really long time. His previous flight was six months, and we've sent a lot of people into space for six months. But if we ever want to send somebody or people to Mars, you know, you're looking at a mission that might be two to three years. We've got to push the envelope on how long we keep people in space because we've got to figure out the physiological effects of really long-duration spaceflight. We have a really good concept of what it would take from an engineering physics, spacecraft design standpoint to send somebody to the surface of Mars and bring them home. But what we don't know is the impact on the human body. And we might find out that there are, you know, big bends in the curve, like there could be a cliff out there that you fall off of in terms of the effect the radiation has on your body or the bone loss you get in the zero gravity environment or what happens to your immune system. I mean, we know there are these negative effects. We've got to see how much those effects get magnified as we spend more time in space. So this is one step in doing that, to keep somebody in space for a year. Of course, the other part of this, and you alluded to this before in terms of the research aspect, is what else it begins to tell us about the human body and human illness and the human condition and other things that we might learn from this. Yeah, it'll tell us a lot, and we'll look for you know, ways to mitigate those effects. I mean, we're, you know, I mean, just let's just look at the, what we may have to figure out with regards to the cosmic radiation dose that you get when you fly in space for a long period of time. Maybe we'll realize that we've got to figure out a way to reverse the negative effects uh, on on human cells. And... Now let's, uh, you know, extrapolate that to what that can mean in terms of, you know, medicine and treating people for maybe even age-related issues. 
Um, so there could be incredible discoveries that we, we could uncover by trying to do this really hard thing. Tell us a little bit about Astro Twins, Project Blastoff, this book you did, and uh, really what you hope young people will take away from it. Yeah, so I wrote this book. I mean, I wrote, I've written kids' children's books before. My other children's books, there was Mousternaut and Mousternaut Goes to Mars, and those are picture books. You know, that's the book that has great illustrations, but only a few sentences on each page. Um, I got asked from a lot of young people, uh, who read those books, you know, when I was going to do something else. Well, now these young people are getting older. And I wanted to write something that would help inspire them to be interested in math and science and engineering a little bit. So when I wrote this book, I tried to make it exciting so they keep reading it. And at the same time, I put, uh, you know, some concepts in, concepts into the book that they may have not been introduced to before. And that's some concepts about physics and chemistry and algebra. They even have an equation in the book called the rocket equation, uh, which has to do with what does it take to get um, lift something off the planet. So maybe it'll excite some of these kids to really, uh, you know, go out and find more information and maybe we'll have a future inventor out there from it. And certainly, if that all isn't enough, all the things we talked about, Mark, you're certainly very involved in the effort with respect to background checks and Americans for Responsible Solutions. Talk about the work you're doing in this area. That you well, and, Gabby you and, and I run, yeah, we run an organization, you know, that's really focused on driving down gun violence. You know, we currently live in a country that has 15 to 20 times the death rate from gun violence than any other industrialized nation. And we can do better than that. And, you know, things like, you know, gun violence are directly connected to the laws that we pass. Um, and we have loopholes in our current system. About 60% of all guns are sold with a background check, and we allow 40% to be sold without a background check. So where do you think the felons, domestic abusers, and the dangerously mentally ill people who can't buy a gun and pass a background check, where do you think they go? They're going to go to the gun show or the Internet. You know, it, 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 it's kind of like, you know, having two systems at the airport, one where you go through security and one where you don't go through security. Where do you think the terrorist is going to go? So, um, you know, we can do better. We can pass better laws to that will not only strengthen our Second Amendment rights, but keep guns out of the hands of the wrong people. And talk about how that effort is going. It's go, you know, it's going well. As an organization, we've been around just a couple of years. We've had a lot of success in raising the resources we need to be effective uh, in the political side of this, but we also have to be effective, effective with the policy and the grassroots. And our organization continues to grow. And over time, you know, we're going to have the, and we do, I mean, we'll have the resources to bring some balance to the politics on this issue in Washington, D.C. and in state capitals. And of course, before I let you go, I'm sure all of our listeners want to know how Gabby's doing. Gabby's doing great. She's in Connecticut today. Uh, she continues to, you know, to work hard. She still does physical therapy and speech therapy, occupational therapy. And, you know, she continues to get a little bit better all the time. Mark Kelly, his book is Astro Twins, Project Blastoff. Mark, I thank you so much for spending some time with us today. You're welcome, Jeff. Thanks for having me on.